name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody, and everybody online. What's up? Good to have you with us as well. Uh, This morning, we're starting a brand new sermon series for four weeks that's going to accompany this season of stewardship that we're in. And I know that uh, for some of you, when you hear words like stewardship or generosity or giving, it's all of the like code words for great. They're going to ask for our money, right? Uh, no, no, that's good. Well, maybe that, maybe not. Um, every year, our community goes through a season of discernment, um, not so that we can keep the lights on, not so that we can pay the bills as a church, though your money is put to that work for sure. But we go through a season of discernment because our wallets are part of our discipleship with Jesus. And you would think that as much as Jesus actually talks about money in the Bible, and he talks about it a lot, uh, that we could be really comfortable and okay with following him even with our wealth. So I know that for some, um, talking about stewardship may trigger you, or there may be anxiety even now, like, great, uh, now I'm going to have to do some work with, like, how I deal with my money, I'm going to have to talk to my spouse, or, like, we're going to have to do that work. Um, I want to put you at ease this morning. Uh, There's no guilt or shame or coercion here with this. There is only good news about your money and your wealth that has been given to you as a gift, as we say at the altar, um, of your own have we given you, O Lord, right? So everybody take a deep breath. We're not going to come at you all, you know, uh, scary and worrisome. So so like, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Uh, We're going to talk about money in light of the good news of the kingdom of God and what Jesus is inviting us to do. And I hope that as we do teach about this, this can support our season of stewardship that we're doing as a parish. If you're new here and you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, it's all good. Um, You can still uh, discern with us what Jesus has to say about your wealth and open yourself up to this moment of discipleship and the transformation of your heart. So uh, I hope that helps frame this and put these, these, this topic at ease for you. Um, the scriptures always um, should challenge and confront us. It's, sometimes there's comfort there as well, but um, the scriptures are always at work kind of provoking and challenging and nudging us as we come to the scriptures. And so, um, but as we do coming to the scriptures, even in 2 Corinthians in this passage, we're going to feel some of that challenge perhaps, some of that nudging. Um, but that nudging needs to be put in the, the headline, the context, the greater story here, that we are truly, listen to me, we are truly in the care of God. And we are truly led by God's gentle spirit to have lives that are transformed and look like Jesus. That's the context within which we're now going to talk about the story of the Macedonian church. We're truly in the care of God. We're truly and gently led by the Spirit to be transformed in the person of Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. Um, This is not about something else. I don't know who gives or who doesn't give or how much people give. But I do know that we all struggle with what to do with our money. We all struggle with worry that's associated with like paying bills and making things happen uh, financially in our lives. We all have these stresses and these worries, and this morning what I want to do is invite us to locate all of that stress and anxiety or the the kind of um, the conversations we have about our budgets and our money. Let's make it subject to Jesus this morning. Let's imagine all of that at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, can you teach me to tend to this gift you've given me? So let's do that together this morning. You guys with me on this? Everybody all right? We're good to go? Okay, let's do it. Um, 
To do this, we're going to look at this story in 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. Um, and he's telling this church in Corinth, which, by the way, this church was a mess, y'all. They had a lot of issues going on. Uh, that's, another, that's another sermon series right there altogether. But this church in Corinth was a mess. And Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, telling this church about another church. Tracking with me? This Macedonian churches, this group of churches in the area of Macedonia. Like, think modern-day Turkey, Greece. That area. And so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about this church in Macedonia in in chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 9 in the series. But this morning, chapter 8, verse 1. This is what Paul says to this church in Corinth about the Macedonian churches. He says this. Let me tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, about the grace which God has given to the Macedonian churches. This theme of grace is actually what frames, I think, Paul's imagination about everything he's going to say from here on out. The theme of grace, this unmerited, unearned gift of God to the Macedonian church is the theme that animates all that Paul's about to say. That though they had their own adversity and their own need that we're going to find out a little bit about, um, demonstrated, um, despite those things, they demonstrated this act of sacrificial generosity. For the needs of other people. For the needs of this other church that was in need. So let me show you. In verse 2, this is what Paul writes. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Did you catch that? Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Let me read this again. This is so, uh, like, there's such a paradox here for me. I have to read it like five times to let it sink in. I'll only read it twice to you, though. Listen to this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Doesn't that seem a little strange? Incredible. Now, the word here for joy Uh, This abundance of joy, that word joy shares the same root uh, for the word for grace in Greek. And N.T. Wright actually translates that word um, as an abundance of grace has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So we see this again, this relationship of God's grace acting on this church, this unmerited gift, this giving upon giving, this overflow of generosity on God's part first that has moved this church to act differently in response, to change their next play, their next decision, their next move, even while while facing severe poverty and affliction. God's grace causes within them this overflow of generosity. Their situation was actually so delicate, this church, that um, Paul seems to imply that he was like, uh, a little bit like, you probably shouldn't give this, guys. You have a lot, like, if anything else happens to you, you're not going to have money to take care of your basic needs. You have seen so much affliction, so much poverty. Are you sure you want to do this? And they urged Paul. They were so energetic. No, we really want to give this money to these, uh, these churches in need. Why? Why would be, why would someone be so compelled, even in great need, to have so much generosity towards other people? Why? I think the answer um, Paul gets at in verse 5. If you're following with me, I'm in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. Let me read this for us. He said, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I think that ordering really matters, doesn't it? It's really significant. This is the secret of that Macedonian generosity. Theirs was an act of joyful response to something that God had already done to them that they then said, we need to like respond by orienting our whole life first to the Lord. And then this act of generosity just followed up. This was, this was kind of what happened when they oriented their lives around Jesus first. And not around anything else, but the Lord first. They were in possession, uh, by orienting their lives that, that way, they were in possession of something they could not contain within themselves. That had to be acted on. They had to do something about this gift of grace that God had shown them. In other words, the gift of salvation that this Macedonian church had in Jesus Christ had changed everything. This was all that mattered. This was the headline. Salvation in Jesus. That's what my life is first going to be oriented to. The forgiveness of sins. Think about the generosity of God in this news of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the dead. A whole new life beginning now made right with God. A fresh start. This is what God has given to the Macedonian church. Of course, they would say this is really reasonable actually for someone being given that kind of a wealth from God to say, this is my whole life needs to be oriented first to this gift, first to the Lord. And through that, it becomes a gift to other people. But when you get the ordering backwards, when you try to be a gift to other people, when you haven't oriented your life first to the Lord, you get burned out and bitter. And like, you, there's just lots of problems. I've tried this before, and maybe you have too. But it actually just kind of like drains you, right? It doesn't work. You can go around the world doing good things. But friends, it's a totally different thing when your whole life is oriented first to Jesus and his kingdom. And then you find yourself giving yourself in ways to other people in service and in generosity and hospitality and in justice and righteousness like we heard in our reading from Isaiah. You find yourself caught up in these acts of giving of God through you. But first, you have to be oriented to Jesus and his kingdom. He will show you how to do the rest. This is what I think is happening to this church in Macedonia. Grace has completely rewritten their story. And though they're in affliction and extreme poverty, grace has totally rewritten their reality and their story. They are the recipients of a wealth that affliction and poverty knows nothing about. And this isn't to make light of hardships and poverty. These are really real things. All the more, though, that should say something about what the grace of God is even in those situations, how it rewrites our story. The early church father, John Chrysostom, he had a kind of a street nickname, his, uh, the golden-mouthed one or the golden-tongued one. And the reason was because when he preached, we say he preached fire. Back then it was like everything he said was gold. So they called him the golden-mouthed one, the golden-tongued one. And let me just drop one of these for you. He's talking about 2 Corinthians 8, this very passage. And this is what John Chrysostom, the golden-mouthed one, has to say about this. This is from like the 4th century. Oh, this is super old. Listen to this. The secret of the Macedonian zeal was that first they gave themselves to the Lord. Everything else flowed from that. Come on, right? Everything else flowed from that. Thank you, John. 
Finally, in this letter, Paul finishes um, this section of chapter 8. And he's writing um, to tell them to clarify, I'm not giving you a command here. What I'm doing is inviting you to do something, kind of a self-examination. What I'm inviting you to do, is, like the Macedonian churches, uh, before the Corinthians, to not, not to order them into generosity, not to push them into generosity, but like the Macedonian church, to take their example and your professed love of the Lord, put them side by side. Do those match up? Do your acts of generosity reflect your own confession of your heart? And Paul says, this is a good test. We can call it the Macedonian test, let's say. Place the genuineness of your love for God side by side with this example of the Macedonian church. Does your example look like this? Does your life look like this? What needs to change? That what you profess with your mouth, you begin to live in concrete acts towards other people. We could do the same thing, couldn't we, in our own lives? We can talk the talk, but are we walking at all in this space? Is there coherence in our lives? And again, Paul's not coming down hard on these people. He's saying, you want to test the genuineness of your love of Jesus? The genuineness and the depth of your faith? Hold up what you talk about in generosity, and then hold up what you do. And discern. And if you're anything like me, you're going to notice a difference, okay? Like, I talk a big game about generosity and being nice to people and loving like Jesus, like all that kind of business, right? But then when you look at my life, I'm like grumpy sometimes or things are inconvenient or like, you know, there's times when I'm like, I'll give up something uncostly instead or like, you know, we find ways of getting around living a generous life. But in those moments, we don't have to shame ourselves or guilt ourselves. We can do this test and say, Lord, would you help me so that what I profess about my love of Jesus, I would see in my life. Would you, Lord, by your grace, because that's the only thing that can change me, would you make my life look like Jesus? And then hold open your hands and your heart and say, Lord, what next? What next? If you've offered your heart, but not your wallets, to the Lord, that might be a good place to start. And the reason it's so hard to talk about money in North America, I, I hate to say it, well, I don't hate to say it because it's true, is that money is, is uh, such a powerful force in our lives. It tells us what we're going to think about, what we're going to worry about, what our life's going to look like. In biblical terms, we'd call this like an idol. And, it's, and, and what we'd like to do is like, can we just not talk about this thing? And Jesus kind of busts in and says, no, we're going to talk about this thing. Because money is not something that was meant to possess us. But it was a gift from God that we possess to put to his good purposes. That's why when we come to this altar, we don't say, Lord, all this money that I rightfully earned, I'll give to you a little bit, I guess. No, we say, of your own have we given you. Lord, this is a gift. Put this gift to good use in our lives. And do this First, to the Lord, before anything else. I, um, I'm, I know this, this terrain really, really well because my own heart is, like, really deceptive. I think I'm pretty clever sometimes, but I'm really not. Um, I tend to, um, like, I'm not an idiot. I know that generosity is something to be practiced, but I find myself often wanting to give things that are uncostly or very convenient to give up to the Lord. Like, see, Lord, I did, look at this. I did this. When all along, I know what the Lord is pointing out saying, 
man, you're really defensive about this thing over here, Sean. Sometimes that's money. Wait for Lent when we're all talking about what should I give up for 30 days or whatever, uh, the 40 days of Lent. Um, we'll go like, I'll just give up uh, this thing that I don't really care about, but not this other thing. Don't ask me about that. Like, that's screaming in us like, give me up, right? Uh, I'm the same way when it comes to money sometimes. Um, I'll even say, well, God sees my heart. I've said in my life in the, before in the past and I'm um, thinking like God doesn't notice that I'm like pulling the wool over his eyes like oh he sees my heart so I don't really have to give I use it as a justification to not be generous it's all twisted up and weird and at a point in my life when I was like really really good at this a pastor sat down with me and was like Sean you you talk this talk man you're even serving in youth ministry you got a small group in your home you're doing like all this incredible work but you don't give a dime to the church I'm really confused can you help me out with this and I was like oh man you got me. Because this is really hard. I, and part of me did, didn't occur to me. But also part of me knew that I was like kind of keeping something that was really scary in my life. Like how was I supposed to give that? It was so tight. How am I supposed to give? But just even that little gentle loving nudge by this pastor. To say you don't have to hide. You can offer up all of your life. You don't have to defend all this stuff. Keep things quarantined from Jesus. You can offer this up first to the Lord. I dare you to do it first to the Lord before any other bill in your life. In fact, when our family gives and we give, we tithe, Michelle and I, we have to intentionally decide we're going to do this first because when the bills pile up and all the other needs pile up and all other things we want to do pile up and we make giving to the Lord last, you know what's left is like not very much. So friends, this isn't rocket science. And this may be a little scary for some of you, and that's okay. Start with where you're at, and I dare you. Do the Macedonian test on yourself. Lord, I say this about how much you have given me and how much I love you. I'm going to step out of faith and like give first to you. Like a, I just want to order even my wallet first to you, Lord. And see what happens. And be compassionate to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. But ask some compassionate questions some curious questions like what's that what's that about what am i afraid of and then invite the spirit to teach you and help you and be with you friends i'm not kidding you if you do this you will find that god is present and at work even in your wealth and in your money and all the anxieties that go along with it the grace of god it writes a whole new story for us we're no longer enslaved to greed and selfishness and comforts on our terms, but when we orient our lives first to the Lord, we find that grace writes a new story for us. We're set free from that captivity. We're unhitched from that myth of scarcity and the burden of like, I'm not going to have enough constantly. We're free. This Macedonian test can help us to notice and recognize those things so that we can get to a place where we can offer our hearts and everything that our heart desires to the Lord first and let everything flow from that. So this morning I want to ask you, have you offered your heart first to the Lord? Have you? If I was to watch you, could I confirm that? If someone was to observe you and your actions, would they say, wow, that person's life is offered first to the Lord. Again, without shame, just compassionate curiosity. If there's a difference there, invite the Spirit to help, to lead, to shape you. Where in my heart do I need to be shaped by the grace of God? 
It's a good question to ask. So friends, as we come to offer our whole lives at this table as living sacrifices, as Paul says, not leaving our wallets in our chairs, we come forward to this table. We're bringing our whole lives to this table as living sacrifices, offering them first to the Lord and to no other master in the world. We are remembering that we are rescued by a God who laid down his life for us, who offered himself for us and for our sake and gave us a whole new future and lease on life, a whole new hope. And only this God is worthy of you offering yourself to him first. Only he is worthy. No other thing is worthy of you offering your lives first than Jesus. So let us come to this table and receive that gift of grace that we only find in Jesus Christ. And be set free and be transformed from the inside out. That our lives would look like that Macedonian church. Wow, these people, these people have been transformed by the grace of God. Let's take a moment of silence and invite the Spirit to help us as we discern before we come to the table. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.